0: Welcome to the Unpacked Podcast, a podcast devoted to unpacking faith, life, and leadership. The goal, to simplify big ideas for a greater impact in everyday people like you and me. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 10 of our podcast. My name is Skylar Elmer, and I am your host, and I hope that our conversation today will give you the encouragement you need to make a greater impact in your life. It is so easy to get hyper-focused on what is happening around you in your immediate surroundings that we fail to see what is happening beyond us. We cynically call this living in a bubble. This happens to the best of us in all kinds of arenas of life. It happens in our personal lives and businesses as well as in churches. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing positive things in our life, in our world, and across the street because we are only seeing things from our vantage point. And today's conversation is one of those eye-opening, outside-of-the-bubble kind of conversations. Today I interview my good friend Nolan Jaden. Nolan is on staff at Rise City Church in my hometown, Gresham, Oregon, and he is their youth and young adult pastor. Rise City Church has a very unique and refreshing story. They are a newer church, and yet they have experienced some explosive growth among a demographic that has notoriously been absent from church. And they are doing it not in the heart of the Bible Belt, but in a very post-Christian and secular area as Oregon. To many people listening to this, you'd probably regard the Portland and Gresham area as a sort of Babylon. And my interview with Nolan tells a story of how they are thriving in Babylon. So let's jump into my conversation with Nolan. Well, I'm honored to have Nolan Jaden on our podcast. Nolan, welcome.
1: Dude, thanks so much for having me, Skylar. It's good to see you, man.
0: Nolan, we um we go way back. Um, you were a pivotal person in my life when I came uh, when I came to Christ and becoming a Christian and uh, in, in fact it was in, in in your house in your room basement where um, we would do a lot of Bible studies and I just kind of asked off the wall uh, questions you know we um, me you um, our friends you know Robbie Christian Tyler Ethan and you know Isaac we just kind of gather together and we just uh, open the Bible and, and and talk about it and so um, I'm really excited that you're here with us on the podcast, and we can have this conversation, so uh, um, I'm really excited. Uh, Nolan, I know a lot of people on our end may not know uh, who you are. I, I know you very well, but can you just do a little bit of introduction to who you are? You know, how did you be, How'd you come to faith, and what do you do? What's your role at Rise Church?
1: Yeah, dude, thanks for having me, man. Uh, other than they know that I'm friends with the famous Skylar Elmer, so oh, I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> So <laughs> we, uh, yeah. So just like you, man, um, obviously we knew each other in high school and stuff. So I wasn't a, uh, church kid growing up. I grew up essentially with, you know, your typical secular worldview, um, believing in, uh, uh, that everything came from nothing. And, um, there is essentially no meaning to life, but so it was sports, it was school and, um, just trying to be, um, the best person i could within that context and then i got invited to church um and that's really how i got saved i went to youth group um and i was sitting there uh thinking i was too school for cool you know like who are these lame church kids what is this youth group why am i here right now and i remember hearing the gospel presented and hearing really who jesus was and i was drawn to jesus instantly i mean that was it for me And uh, what was insane was in that same moment, being swept up into the story of Jesus being preached from the front, um, I heard in the quiet of my heart uh, this phrase, I've always known you. Hmm. And so... feeling like this was God speaking to me. And to this day, I'm like, man, that was totally the Holy Spirit moving in my heart powerfully. Um, I remember breaking down crying and, uh, not sure exactly what it meant to be a Christian, but that was the moment I actually traced my whole story back to is, uh, the gospel there. Um, so I got saved, get baptized, hung out with you guys. And, uh, Long story short, now I'm a pastor um, at Rise City Church here in Gresham, Oregon, which is just outside of Portland. I oversee youth. Um, We're starting young adults ministry, which is a lot of fun. I get to preach a lot here on the preaching team and then uh, get to do a lot of stuff with communications in general. So that's who I am.
0: That's awesome. And I remember, you know, we man we, we you know you were on the youth leadership team, and you were responsible for um, bringing um, encouraging me Robbie Tyler and, and Christian was also you know it helped kind of bring us you know knuckleheads into the youth group and then Tom had to kind of deal with us and then you know we even went to Bible college together at Ozark for you know for a brief period of time then you went back got married to Lindsay, and uh, and then it Just so happened that you know rise city church started and and jason started doing some incredible things him and the team and Mm. um used the very same facility that we got saved in um Mm. to to really start the church i mean i guess it started in the basement but in the very room you know that our faith was kind of born a reborn into um that this ministry kind of um really began to grow and, and develop um can you share with us, Nolan, a little bit about um, Rise City Church's story?
1: Gosh, dude, that's so true. And that's an awesome uh, insight into the story. So, yeah, uh, Rise was started by Jason Clark, who uh, he's this kid that grew up kind of Bay Area ish in California. Um, he had a similar experience. Um, he grew up in a Christian home, but um, really found Jesus um, in a real and tangible way for himself. In high school, he ends up at Bible college up at Multnomah, uh, now called Multnomah University. And uh, that was um, how his heart really got, um, I don't know, just he drawn to the Pacific Northwest. Um, he was doing ministry in Gresham as a youth pastor. Um, and around that time, uh, he, was, he was doing a lot of business and stuff, just a really successful guy in general. Um, but at that time, he was looking for like, really, what is God leading me into next? And so um, in the providence of God, he actually meets um, some also very successful business owners in the area uh, over a coffee shop called Stomping Grounds. He meets their parents, uh, very smart people, very humble believers, super connected to the community. And I could just go story after story of how he just um, really meets these leaders that are leading Rise today. They end up kind of just dreaming up, what would it look like to plant a church in our city, a fresh work of God? Um, to be honest, there wasn't a lot, like we have strong churches in the area, but per capita, uh, as you know, Port- the Portland metropolitan area is very non-Christian. And so um, the need for a local church uh, to be planted was definitely um, something they felt. And as they talked, planters meeting started, they ended up getting um, a small uh, group, about 40 people. Um, they plant and within uh, five years there are about 500 people. We just hit our six year anniversary um, during the pandemic. So in about five years, 500 people, that's kind of the way I, uh, I look at the story is like insane move of God, in my opinion, right? Um, I don't know how fast churches grow in you know the Midwest in Texas. But um, from my experience, having grown up in this city, I'm looking at it going like there's there's hardly been anything like this. And so um, I actually joined the church a year in, uh, a little over a year into when they planted and uh, met Jason right away. He, What's funny is he was like, dude, uh, you should consider serving in our youth ministry, maybe even helping us get started uh, with a youth ministry. And at that time in my own story, I wasn't sure that ministry was for me, right? And I remember looking at him across a uh, coffee table and saying like, I am absolutely honored that you said that, but there's just no... Uh, chance that I will get involved in starting a youth ministry, right? Like, and I remember him looking at me and saying, you need to pray about it, man, like, at, at least pray about it. And so then I go home and I knew my wife was kind of burnt out on being part, part of ministry and stuff, at least from a leadership standpoint, um, obviously want to serve. And I go I, on the drive home, I, I pray to God, I remember the exact location I was on the street. And I say, Jesus, like, if you want to, us to do this like when i get home i'm like playing like the whole like god do this you know i'm show a sign and i say, god i need you to have lindsay be the first one to say no that is absolutely what we should do and so but i'm convinced at this point like lindsay's done i'm done i get home i talk to her and the first thing that comes out of her mouth is exactly what i prayed to the lord mm. she she looks at me and she says no you, you need to reconsider this and i'm like you're on his side like what are you talking about <laughs> and so the rest is history for the last uh you know four or five years uh we started the youth ministry um really watched the church grow it was the grace of god alone and so um yeah dude i i really believe that um this has just been a move of the holy spirit where juncture after juncture he has initiated and he has caused the growth and we're kind of along for the ride here so yeah
0: man that's cool i remember when when you had that conversation with Jason, I, I don't know about when that was, but we had a conversation, you know, and I I was, this is in California, and I was talking to you and you're like, dude, should I do youth ministry? I just don't know. And we were just kind of wrestling since I was doing youth ministry. And uh, man, I remember that. And this is so fun because um, you, we, when we went to visit um, Oregon, we, we went to Rise City Church and it was, I mean, it was awesome. And it just, just seeing what God is doing in um, you know, I mean, it's, it's not just a young adult ministry. I mean, it's, it's very multi-generational, um, there, but everybody was really enthusiastic and exciting. And then I got to hear you preach, which was awesome. And you knocked it out of the park. Um, well, I, I man, um, I guess, you know, you, you said you've been in it four years on, I guess, on staff. Like what did, How was that transition like did were you able to get um because it's a brand new church plant um did you did you go from whatever you were doing into um i guess working full-time like how did that work like were they able to to afford you (laughs) i don't know a better way to say that
1: (laughs) i don't cost a lot no um (laughs) so that's a great question man so the transition for us was Uh, I was uh, sharpening knives uh, for Benchmade Knife Company. You know, I was working in an assembly line. And um, uh, what happened was after we started the youth ministry, uh, pretty much within the first year, um, Jason started kind of talking, opening the conversation about being on staff and what would it look like for you to do ministry, even part time. And uh, just realistically, like it wasn't uh, a good financial move, like to, to go on staff at the church. Um, but we, um, we prayed about it and thought, man, this is something we'd like to do. I ended up, this is funny. I actually ended up moving uh, my wife, myself and our firstborn Ollie into this like rental property that he was, that was connected to his house. Like this tiny, tiny, yeah. And oh yeah, you guys came and hung out with us. That was really cool. Um, and so it was real small, but, um, rent was cheap, you know? And so. Um, we moved in there partly to, to get into the city cause we were living a city away and partly because to reduce costs so that we could actually start moving towards being on staff. And so, um, I came on part-time just a few hours a week. Um, I actually, uh, quit my job. Uh, I started working like three part-time jobs. Uh, one of them being like a Starbucks barista and like doing sales for some random company. It was just a hustle, man. And so, um, over that time, uh, that progress continued year over year. They'd bring me on for a few more hours. Um, and I'd like, you know, just kind of, um, uh, adjust lifestyle, uh, slowly kind of move from job to job as, uh, those jobs would allow me to do ministry part-time. And then, um, for gosh, I don't know how long it's been. I want to say it's been, uh, almost two years that I've actually been on staff full time. And that story is actually interesting too, because uh, Rise couldn't afford me um, in that sense, if you will. We, um, again, it's a church plant. And so we were like three or four years in, or yeah, about three, or four years in when... Um, Jason was basically like, I'm done. I need this dude to be on staff for whatever reason. He's crazy, but I'm honored that he would think that. He went to another church and, um, in the area, uh, called Cornerstone, uh, and they basically gave Jason my year's salary. Okay. <laughs> so we were like, okay, so that's a move of God. Um, so even within the story, you've got to recognize that. Um, there's this, there's this parable, there's this truism, there's this reality that when, um, God, when God moves in the local church, he uses churches around, he uses the kingdom. And so there's this investment in church planting that churches around us, uh, were willing to make seeing young leaders, uh, rise up and, and try to make a dent in the city. If there weren't uh gospel centered, passionate, um, you know kingdom minded churches around us rise actually wouldn't exist and so um if i could, if I can share one more story, yeah. just in the humility and the way that God uses his people to invest in church plans to invest in in new movements was um actually the building i'm in right now is skate an old skate world okay uh rise recently um purchased this skate world right it's literally in the center of our city i don't know if you remember going to skate world growing up skylar but um it it was already a hub and a kind of a center place for um for community. And it was obviously skate worlds becoming less and less of a thing as they were selling these skate worlds off. Uh, that was the exact time we were uh, in need of a building. And so uh, we were nowhere near being able to afford it as a new church. And the owners basically came to us and said, Hey, look, we want to see a gospel church be planted in this building. And so um, what do we got to do? And I'm literally Jason's like, this is crazy. And in the same like time frame. Um, an anonymous donor gives a million dollars to rise and says like, we want, we want skate world to happen. And so this is not like the schemes of men. This is not like, um, you know, Jason's just strategically now he's a strategic guy, smart guy, but this is a move of God that takes kingdom minded people, disciples of Jesus to make tremendous sacrifice. And so my story is part of that. Uh, this building's part of that. And that's really the story, uh, the underlying story of rise So.
0: That's unbelievable, Nolan. I, 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 uh, I, I can't believe. You know, I, I don't even know what I would do. You know, if somebody just all of a sudden dropped a check off for a million bucks, or you know, offered us this building, or you know, like that's that's incredible. Like those are the things that you go, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. And you know, when those discouraging seasons come, I'm going to remember that that this is something that God wanted to do. That this is something that is far beyond far beyond me, far beyond us. This is, I'm totally like you said, this is, this is the kingdom, you know, and and the king is going to supply the needs for his kingdom and for his kids to bring that mission out. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's clear, Nolan, that, that God has been, you know, working through you guys, through Rise, through the ministry there. Um, But has there been things that, you know, you believe that Rise City Church and the leadership um, has done to kind of Um, help I guess facilitate that growth and kind of the influence that you guys have in the community
1: Mm, I love that question that's good man so um yeah so on the one hand obviously like it is very the spirit of God moving and and theologically I just I have to say like you can't manufacture that right like that's not something you can put on a whiteboard and say hey we're gonna do this we're going to you know, we're going to initiate a move of God. That's the work of God. You know, you think about even in Ezekiel where God's like, yo, I'm going to put my spirit in you. This is a work of God initiated by God. And we can't take credit for that. Um, the kind of the other side of that is that when the spirit of God, um, to use metaphor, like blows through a city, I think there is this part where you can raise the sails, so to speak. and, and, be ready to participate in what God is already doing if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for us, um, I would say like, when you think about the values of the distinctives of rise in this ministry, that is, um, that is the sale where those are the sales. And so what I'd say is, um, kind of special about the DNA of rise is that, um, gosh, one, I'd probably say theology. Um, And I say that not just because I'm a Bible guy, but because I've watched over the years, how this ministry has been shaped by scripture, by who God is and how that works out uh, in the local church. And so I would say we lean into a theology of mission, right? We lean into a theology of mission. And so um, when you look at scripture, um, we talk about this a lot on Sundays. We talk about this a lot with leadership, but from Genesis to revelation, we see a God who is on mission. And so, um, You know, you you start out in Genesis 1 and God is, uh, you know, speaking light into the darkness and through his gospel word and his gospel initiative, he continues to make um, uh, really relationship with human beings, uh, bridging the gap between broken and fallen human beings and their creator. And so you see in Abraham, right, God pursues Abraham. He's on mission to, uh, you know, bring about a people of God uh, that then influences Abraham. a multitude. Then you get Jesus, and what does he do? He comes down, and he he he's on mission. He doesn't stay on his throne, but he comes down to be among us and to die for us. And then um, at the end of uh, you know Matthew's gospel, he he says, "Go therefore and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And so, thoroughly from Genesis to Revelation, we have a missional God. And so for us, what that means is we teach this constantly, right? We are, uh, we shape series around the idea that God is a missional God and we are his people on mission sent to make disciples. Um, I would say this is in the everyday conversations with believers. This is how we raise people up. Um, And this is also in our um, mission statement. So uh, we say that rise exists to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. Mm -hmm. right rise exists to rise up and what we mean by rise up is to uh, really make disciples but also raise up leaders and so we rise up and then we saturate our city with the gospel means that we are a people who raise up leaders who are on mission Mm -hmm. and so um, it's not enough to kind of like create a holy huddle and say hey if you grew up in the church like we're the better church on the block like that's ridiculous right Mm -hmm. that is so far from the heart of God I think what God wants to see is his people so passionate for his gospel that we would take that gospel to the ends of the earth. And I think in Portland, what that means is bringing light into darkness. And so um, what, what we do um, as a result of that, and I think this is um, really critical. This is close to Jason's heart. It's close to my heart. And this is what I think God has used is we don't let it just be that the professionals do ministry. Okay. We do not believe that there's such thing as like a professional Christian or that um, the, the, the ministry of the mission of God is up to like, uh, you know, the professional class. Let's put it that way. And so um, we are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, and this is close to our DNA and rise up, right? So Ephesians four talks through, you know, in verses 11 through 13 that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, this like fivefold ministry, all these leaders not to do the ministry, but to raise up the body of Christ to do the ministry. And so um, where I think a lot of churches maybe get hung up on like, oh man, pastors do ministry. We, We actually see in the text of scripture, this call to make disciples who do the ministry? Who make disciples? Um, and so, man, what I see is like, I'll give you just one cool story is like our buddy who you and I both know, Tyler, um, him and his wife, Hannah. I, obviously, we knew them for years. This is a couple, really strong believers, um, very talented, very gifted by the Holy Spirit to lead in worship, to uh, gifted in leadership, gifted in evangelism. They're just awesome couple. Well, for all these years that I, uh, before I was at Rise, I remember seeing them be very talented and do some cool things, but it was never like necessarily super directed. And I remember thinking to myself, like, as I watched them, like, man, what are they going to (laughs) do with all of this giftedness? You know, like, and it was actually at Rise as they met, um, uh, as I met Jason, as I met leaders here who said, you guys need to use this for the kingdom of Jesus. They're now um, through kind of being raised up at Rise where they had all this talent but weren't necessarily using it through the local church and the leadership. They're actually two of the best worship leaders that I know. In the context of a local church and they're using their gifts and they're, I mean, tons of people talk about, man, that I know who Tyler and Hannah are. And, and it's all because the church said we need to get behind these people and equip them to do the ministry that God has called them for. And that's also why, like, dude, at Rise, one of the cool things that I've seen is these things I like to call baptism chains, right? So we allow, uh, we really want to empower people in the congregation to baptize. And so on Sundays, we have pastors baptized. Uh, but man, we have, we have just disciples of Jesus who are not in any you know, like formal ministry baptized. And so mm-hmm. we'll see a couple, married couple, get into the waters of baptism bring a friend in, you know, you kind of watch them, help them down into the basketball. They do the whole thing. And you're already in tears because they baptize this friend. You're like, what a beautiful moment. But then as soon as that couple finishes, you'll watch them get out. And then the couple they baptize will bring another couple in who they reached, you know, and, and then baptize. I mean, we have video of this and I'm in the back, like Jason, like, I'm not crying. Are you crying? He's like, I'm not crying. You're crying. And, and we're just grown men like weeping as as person after person, you see these chains of baptisms. Man, one point we saw 16, another point we saw 30, but it's these, the disciples of Jesus baptizing one another. It's such a picture. of having had such a picture of God's people and God's mission. And so, um, yeah, man, like it is that believing in a theology of mission and empowering God's people to be on that mission um, as opposed to like, hey, it's the pastor's job. So Christians are called to be on mission. Like, if it's true that it's not the professional class, it's the everyday Christian. Uh, you think about Jesus and the disciples on math, in Matthew 28, right? It says that he brings them together, right? And there's even this interesting little verse where it talks about um, there were some who worshiped and there's some who doubted right and so these are everyday christians these are normal people who are going like i'm some of them are like man i love you jesus you resurrect from the dead i worship you and they totally get it and you're like yes that's the star plater. that's who i want on my team that's who i want doing ministry and then you've got others of them who are going like yeah i see the holes in your hand and i know it's you and i watched you die and then you were in the grave and and now you're back again but like I'm not really sure that you're really God, you know? Like, I'm not sure that you are who you say. And they're doubting the resurrected Jesus. It doesn't get any more, like, average. It doesn't yeah. get any more, like, like, JV, ministry person, than, like, I don't believe in the resurrection, looking at the resurrected Jesus. And yet Jesus then does what? He commissions all of them. Yeah, yeah He comm- yeah. that whole group. Man, hey, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and then you get an Acts one and he fills them with the spirit and they go and they flip the world upside down. And so um, what you lose, here's, here's what I'm saying. This might be controversial, but I don't think that you can be a disciple of Jesus who's, who is not on mission. I do not think that because it's so intertwined with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be on mission right? Being on mission is so intertwined with that, that like to say I'm a Christian, but I'm not on mission is almost a misnomer
0: Mm. because
1: to be called is to be sent, right? Um, All throughout the gospels, you look at how Jesus raised up his disciples. You ask like, were they really like Christians in the time they were following Jesus in those early years? You get all these philosophical questions, right? Because they weren't yet filled with the spirit, And yet, even before they get filled with the Spirit uh, at Pentecost, even before they see the cross, even before they see the resurrection, what is Jesus doing in their discipleship training? He's sending them out. Uh, by twos. He's sending out the 72. He's sending them constantly to go proclaim the kingdom. And so this idea that there isn't a, there's a Christian who is not by, um, by definition on mission, and that's a misnomer. And so I think we need to go away from this idea of, again, the professional class, um, the the pastor is on mission and really embrace this because you lose discipleship if you're not on mission.
0: Mm. That's so cool. Man, I I was even brought to mind the passage in Acts where, you know, um, Peter and John, the before the Sanhedrin, and they took note that these were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. You know, I, it doesn't get any more ordinary, everyday, average Christian than that. You know, and I look at my story, and uh, it was it was less than an ideal story, and I, I, I've done some pretty dumb things. And, you know, looking at my story, I just think, man, like, what was God thinking? You know, like calling me into ministry. You know, with with my track record. I mean, some of the questions I asked, like in your room, was just like, "Oh man, I would have been embarrassed if those I like, got filmed and published." And but I mean, it's I mean, it's it's the heartbeat, right? Like God doesn't call the uh, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, right? That um, I oh. mean, you, you see that with with um, what you were saying with the gospels, right? I mean, I I not put that together, that the, they weren't filled with the Spirit to be in power to do ministry, and yet Jesus was still entrusting them with ministry. And uh, mm. that's that's so good, Nolan. Um, okay, as you kind of evaluate, you know, bird's eye view, you look at Rise, um, Rise City Church, you look at your life, your family, everything um, from, I guess— from the beginning of the church to where you're at now have there been any lessons you've learned as far as like life leadership ministry mm.
1: yeah that's really good um, gosh I'd say a few things um, from rise and, gosh one thing would be uh, I know I've talked a lot about this idea that um, it's not the professional class you know the pastors the, the whatever you want to call them. It's not those ministers who should do the ministry, but I would also add to that on the leadership standpoint for those who are in church leadership or who are, um, leading in ministries and stuff like that, um, that in regards to who you call to be a pastor in regards to who you call to lead in a high capacity or high level in your church, uh, don't just draw from, uh, don't just draw professionals. And what I mean is, uh, don't just look, uh, for those who have degrees. Don't don't, don't just look through uh, for those who have um, ministry experience already, because I, I'll tell you in my story, um, I, I am not qualified for ministry, right? Uh, my I didn't go to, uh, I, obviously you and I went to, a, I went to a semester of Bible college and then took a few classes after that, but that was it for me, right? And so, and that's actually part of why I didn't think I was Called into ministry was because man, I don't have the degree, I don't have the time to go get the degree, and I'm just trying to earn uh, money here, and so I feel called, but you know this is not the the path that I'm on is this professional Christian path. I was sharpening knives, right, and uh, working in an assembly line, and yet that is the state that Jesus called me to ministry, right? That's the state where, where Jason, uh, you know, popped the ministry question, if you will. He's like, Hey man, do you want to do this? And so, um, I think that when that happens, you'll see multiplication movement at a scale that is unfathomable. I just, I just am convinced that you should look outside of, um, just not that it's bad. And I know you're a guy who, uh, you're going hard after, um, your degree, uh, your MDiv, right? Or, or something along those lines. But from, from my experience, um, there is this missing component where we actually like raise up in-house, in the church, people who are not technically qualified. Um, but I will say um, one qualification that we do sometimes miss in ministry that um, as a leader, and this is what I, I think is distinct about Jason and, and really all the key leaders here at RISE is they're hustlers, um, that uh, we need to embrace uh, gospel-centered hustle. Now, I don't mean they're selling drugs, right? I'm using that term. We kind of u- kick that around here, but that hard work in ministry matters more than ever before, mm. um, and it is work. Um, like you don't see um, you don't see lazy leaders um, leading movements. I don't think. Um, maybe that's a little harsh, but I was actually thinking about this the other day that in regards to who Jesus chose for ministry, okay, um, a lot of times when I've thought about why did Jesus choose Levi? Like, why did Jesus choose, um, you think, Peter or James or John? And I've always thought, well, it's because they, they're losers, right? Yeah. Like Jesus chose spiritual losers who didn't make it through uh, school to, make, to basically give a Jesus flex and be like, look, I, I was able to change the world through these knuckleheads, right? Just like he's uh, done with you and me. We're just absolute knuckles. And I think that's true. But I've actually recently been pondering this idea that like, all right, like when you think of Peter, uh, what you see in your mind um, is a guy who is fishing in, all through the night and he catches nothing, right? But, but this is what I was actually contemplating. Like he's a guy who fished all through the night and caught nothing. And yet he's still after it.
0: Mm.
1: He's a fisherman. And I'm wondering is, was he, a, was he a hard worker? And then Jesus comes to him and says, listen, I'll make you fishers of men. Um, you think of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they're these guys who are, um, they're, they're called sons of thunder, right? Now, Jesus makes them uh, the love apostle in regards to John, but, I man, these are guys who are clearly, like, blue-collar, hardworking. They have the work ethic, and I wonder if there isn't something there. Then you you talk about Paul, and you're like, well, Paul, for sure, it was that just Paul was a spiritual um you know he he was a spiritual failure you know he's persecuting the church and it's just to show his glory that Jesus would choose a sinner like uh Saul and I'm like yes that's absolutely in there but then on the flip side you got to wonder like Paul is a guy who leads teams uh, even to the extent that he is able to uh, organize, uh, uh, evidently the stoning of Stephen, right? And so uh, all these pe- these people are laying their uh, coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so he's a leader, and then he's pursuing these uh, the di- disciples of Jesus all the way to Damascus, and he's he's doing the work. And you're like, if like I, I almost see Jesus looking at Saul and being like, yeah, he's got some zeal, right? He's got some work ethic. He's certainly somebody, but what if I was to use that for my glory? And so I think that there is this place for hard work. You know, I hear a lot about, man, like ministry is, uh, it's about the heart. It's about, um, it's, it's about, uh, the character and I'm about to talk about that, but, but really I want to actually first say that there is this place for hard work in the kingdom of God in this redeemed sense. You know, you and I are millennials and, uh, what millennials are notorious for is, you know—basically living in their parents' basement and playing video games, right? Like that's kind of our generation. And yet I think sometimes moves of God, actually, uh, people who are ready to be part of a move of God are actually hard workers. And so there's hard work. And kind of the last piece that I'll uh, share here is character, right? It is this big, it's this character. And so I think about um, those who are going to make a long lasting, eternal impact uh, cannot do so without internal character. Um, one of the things that is really uh, just I'm so thankful for in Jason Clark, our lead pastor, is he is a guy. while, while in the midst of man, I've I've had many heroes uh, who I podcasted, who I watched videos. These leaders who um, made a big impact, planted big churches, or spoke at conferences, and one after another in the last you know four or five years, I've watched them fall. Right. And you could just list off the names, not only from the movements I follow, but again and again in in multiple tribes and multiple movements. And um, in the midst of all that, I get to watch Jason and how he pursues the heart of every single leader in our church. He is so intentional, not just in creating an excellent service on Sundays, but relationally shepherding the, the heart, the character, these things that make you who you are. And so as often as he's asking like, Hey, Hey, what are you working on? What can I be supportive in? You know, uh, let's think strategically about this. He's also asking "Hey, man, how's your marriage? Like, how are you doing personally? How is your time with the Lord? Are you actually getting a Sabbath in, are you in the word of God? Like he's always shepherding us this way. And I I don't think I've actually met a leader who's more intentional with the relational heart shepherding of his people.
0: That's awesome. What a, I mean that that's such a such a good quality to have in a leader. And so, um, man, that's cool. Is there anything else? Any other lessons, maybe like with life that you've learned along the way?
1: Yeah. Um, man, with life, um, in ministry and all that, I would say, um, yeah, even in part of the character piece is just uh, doing ministry with your family, um, doing ministry at home. Uh, and, and again, this is a lot of like Jason's influence on me, but like uh, our home is a mission field, right? I don't want to get to the end of my uh, life and be like, man, we planted churches, we saw disciples, we baptized X number of people and all this stuff that looks really good on a you know Christian resume, if you will. B- but like my kids don't know me. My, my kids didn't know me. My kids fell away. My kids... Um, not, not that you can control all of that, but there is this element where I'm like constantly envisioning the future and, um, man, my kids, my wife, their walks with Jesus are at the forefront of that vision. So
0: you're passionate about the gospel. You're passionate about ministry, the church, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, um, What does it look like to um, have a gospel-centered home? I mean, what what does that mean for you? And what does that even look like? I I guess, like, why is it important to see your family as a ministry?
1: Well, one, um, in the same way that I would say uh, each and every person that I get to do life with, each and every person that I get to do ministry with or um, hear their story at RISE has been assigned to me in the sovereign grace of God, right? Like each and every person, dude, like when I held my little boy in my hands for the first time in the hospital and when I heard him cooing and 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 that moment was assigned to me so extremely clearly. Uh, the moment that I met my wife, um, this is actually a funny story that I didn't know until she told me this, but um, uh, my wife was assigned to me, right? <laughs> like there is a, there is this sense in which like our stories intersected because of the grace of God. And and the story is this, that um, we, I, we all kind of got impacted by this big college group called The Way, led by a guy named John Mark Comer. And um, while there, I heard that Lindsay, uh, my wife, uh, before we had ever met or whatever, was sitting down next to you, and I think Tyler, one of our other buddies, oh, and okay. uh, literally... She, she said that um, he said the the leader at the time said, Hey, turn to the people around you and pray for one another, actually lay hands. And there's like, you know, thousands of people here. And I, I and I guess you guys like laid hands on her and actually prayed for her and prayed for her future and stuff like that. And so she's telling me the story. I'm going like, those are two of my like best friends grown up who prayed over my future wife. And so she, she's assigned to me, right? Wow. There's this beautiful picture of that. And so, man, I'm, I am uh, on assignment and they are my assignment. And so um, I want to give my life to that. This is not something I'm worthy of. Um, And so really one of the cool things in our home is, is that gospel focus. I mean, we want to disciple our kids. We want to be serious disciples of Jesus. And so I've learned a lot from my wife to be perfectly honest. Like, I'm like B-level, C-level parent by nature. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, the first time I ever held a baby was probably my own kid, right? So I'm just yeah. this knucklehead, yes! <laughs> and so we're in this boat together. And I'm going, I'm watching her. So she has early childhood education and stuff like that in her background. And it's just a phenomenal, she's phenomenal with kids and, and, uh, Man, I, I get to watch how she consistently pours into our children, and really gleaned from that. And so, my fatherhood is shaped by her motherhood. And so, she's introduced me some cool patterns that I I've found really helpful recently. One of the things that we do is we're extremely um, we try to be extremely consistent with discipleship in the home. Um, I think uh, what's cool is in church world right now, people are reembracing uh, the idea of uh, like rule of life, the idea of spiritual disciplines, these things that I think, um, the evangelical world uh, has been, well, no, it's grace. And so you don't want works. So you don't want patterns. You don't want liturgy. You don't want, uh, you know, rules because all of that is works. And then you have uh Dallas Willard who's come kind of back to the forefront of, uh, Christian thinking and ministry and stuff. And what he said is basically that, um, grace is not opposed to, uh, uh, grace is opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort or something along those mm-hmm. lines. And so, um, there is this place for the spiritual distance it is this place. And so we've tried to create these patterns and these rhythms that are healthy for our kids. So one of them being, um, my, my wife actually had the idea of like, let's do a hymn a month. And so every night we, um, take a old hymn. And right now, uh, we're doing all creatures of our God and King. And then, um, uh, last month it was before the throne of God above. And every night we sing that to our kids and, um, man, I've seen the fruit of it. And, you know, we have a, a five-year-old, we have a two-year-old and and then we have a baby and she, she can't exactly sing along, but the two-year-old can kind of mumble along. And the five-year-old, he, he gets the words and it's seeing him, uh, sing these gospel truths and then ask about them. Like, Daddy, what does that mean? What does thy mean? And so he explained that, but then really getting into the, the root of like, what is uh, what is this idea and explaining priesthood. Jesus is the great high priest to our kids and what that means that he is mediator and, and he's five and yet they can get it. And so the hymns thing has been really, really neat. Um, another pattern that's been really fun is um, honestly, like I'm sure a lot of families do this, but just it's the consistency piece that I think is critical is reading the scriptures to them. Now we don't use uh, you know, the ESV study bible in in with the kids. What we use is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And have you used that before?
0: Yeah, that's what we use, man. We are my
1: guy. Love shit, it. Another mother. <laughs> Truly though. So um, yeah, the Jesus storybook bible. Um, is always pointing to Jesus in the gospel. Um, for, you know the Genesis Revelation uh, we see echoes of the gospel in type and shadow and so all throughout that I find myself like I'm reading this to them and I'm like every third story I'm like oh gosh and, and Ollie's like daddy are you crying happy tears again because he knows like the gospel just rocks me and I love this Bible because he presents it all throughout uh, you know Abraham, David it's always pointing to Jesus not pointing to works righteousness which a lot of honestly a lot of kids Bibles do and so the um, gospel, gospel, gospel and so so that kids, I can't actually recommend that enough. I think they actually um, made it uh, a, a copy of it where um, they they published it for adults too. And so there's like a nice adult's copy. But uh, if you can get your hands on the Jesus Storybook Bible for your kids, what a way to shape their hearts and minds and imaginations on the gospel of Jesus.
0: Nolan, you have no idea, um, maybe you do, um, the Footprint of faith you have had in my life, and you know, for everybody listening, I, I just want to say, like in all sincerity, um, you would be somebody that I would want as a pastor. Um, especially if I was in youth group, I would want you as my youth pastor. You have had such an incredible uh, impact on my own life and my own faith, and just um, shepherding me to help. Uh, see jesus more clearly but also being able to wrestle with questions in an honest way that leads me to faith and so anyways man i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have a conversation about what god's been doing um, in your life as well as rise city church and it was such an honor for for me to uh to talk with you again and man i love you and uh, look forward to talk to you again thanks nolan
1: much love man you're my pastor Faith.
0: Nolan has always been somebody that I have greatly appreciated and respected in life, marriage, and ministry. And I'm so glad that he was willing to share just a little bit about what God has been doing there. The reason I think that conversation is important is because I think it is all too easy to believe that we can never do enough, or that a generation of people are impossible to reach, that they're lost, and, and in the words of Nolan, we need to see what God is doing now and raise up the sails and join Him. After all, this is His church, this is His movement, not ours. If you want to look up some of the key points that Nolan had mentioned, you can by going to our show notes. We have some of the points that we talked about as well as different links. Um, One link is to Nolan's podcast that he does for parents. It's called The Parent Podcast. It's a really good resource that's out there. We have a really exciting lineup of guests that I I really can't wait to share with you. But let me go ahead and tell you who's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Next week I am releasing part two of an interview that I did with Dr. Shane Wood on his book Between Two Trees. The first interview we called um, A Biblical Answer to Racism. In this upcoming episode we talk about God's work of transformation in our lives. And if you want to know how does God transform us and and why is transformation important and why don't I feel God transforming me um, faster than what I'm experiencing and is God even working in my life, then this is your episode. So that's next week. And then following that interview, my guest is going to be Dr. Mark Moore. Mark did his PhD works on the politics of Jesus. He's also my former professor at Ozark Christian College. Mark is currently the teaching pastor at Christ Church of the Valley in Arizona, which has over 20,000 people in attendance. And we are talking about a hot topic uh, issue, civil disobedience. When is it permitted to actually uh, disobey governing authorities, and, and where and when do we as Christians get it wrong? And so I hope you will join these conversations, but before we get there, before we get to the next week, would you do me a favor, and could you just rate this podcast and write a review of what you are personally getting out of them? It helps get the word out. Well, I hope this conversation has helped you in your life so that you can make a greater impact in your life. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next week as we talk about God's work of transformation with Dr. Shane Wood.